shake. You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Walter Scott. Walter's book from Koyama is Wendy, which came out last summer, I want to say. This book came out in November. In November, oh. This November. Much more recent than I thought. Yeah, not very long ago. I think she just sends me them, like, well in advance. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the general public got to see it in November. I read it very quickly, but I first thought it was very enjoyable. It was a lot of fun to read. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun to do. Uh, yes and no. <laughs> I think before I had the ambition or the thought that it was going to become uh, a, like a series that was published into one book, Yeah, it was fun because I was sort of just doing it for myself. And then um, by the time I found out, by the time Annie pr- proposed to me that we could put out a Wendy book, but she would need um, three books worth of material, you know? Yeah, like three comics. Yeah, yeah. The pressure was on a little more, and I became maybe a little more self-aware. So maybe it was a little more painful. Um, now, this work is really different than the rest of the art you make. Yeah. Um, so was it... What was it kind of coming out of doing this comic? Um, I guess I started Wendy in around 2011. And by then I had been out of art school for about two years. And I was at that point after art school where you sort of feel around and you're trying to figure out what you want to do, what you want to say, how you want to say it. Mm -hmm. And um, I basically was just imitating a lot of the things that I saw in contemporary art that I thought would work. I wasn't really confident enough in my own voice I didn't know what my own voice was mm-hmm. and I was making all of this work but I felt like I was making it for other people I was yeah. making work that I thought was legit that would solidify me as a serious artist you know sort of brainwashed by the things that I was told about the things you have to do to be a legitimate contemporary artist. So, you know, I made a lot of formal looking work and tried using photographic images and and it was all very exhausting. Um, it felt more like you're like constructing something less than like creating. Yeah, yeah, constructing using elements that I thought were sort of appropriate um, to do what I wanted to do, which was be an artist. And yeah. I, I don't know, it just didn't, none of it really added up. 
you know, I, I wasn't really going at going at it from like a really honest place. I was just confused. And, and during that time I was, you know, just partying a lot and I was in a band and, and uh, I was making gig posters and the gig posters themselves, like I felt very um, spiritually connected to, mm-hmm. like those were the only things I was doing where I really felt like, you know, they were coming directly from me. Um, so Wendy sort of came about because I was frustrated with like my own failings at like being a contemporary artist. And so I sort of just created these really wacky, weird comics, um, that were like antithetical to what I thought I should be doing. Yeah. And because I think I came at it from such like an antithetical perspective uh i was i kind of was like like it was um propulsion from that i think that made me keep doing it because i I think i was like angry too yeah well like like you're not really finding your voice in what you're creating yeah yeah and i think i was like maybe angry at my own failure at being a contemporary artist but also self-deprecating and wanting to make fun of it and and I wanted to document like that kind of anxiety like what that looks like and um, I kept doing it and then Wendy sort of she started to evolve into a, a character with dimensions and with a backstory and do you find it reflects much of your own experience or is it kind of projecting of other folks' experience you see going through the art school process? And... Um, it's actually a mix of me and other people. Mm-hmm. Each character, I think, that I have made in the Wendy series, like they're each a little piece of me, but they also exhibit behaviors of the people around me. Yeah. Um, they they act more like these like avatars that can be possessed by different sort of people. Um, did you doing the comics? Did you kind of have any interesting comics beforehand? Was that something you'd been looking at? Uh, yeah. Well, it's funny because like when I was really small, my friends, my friend and I would draw comics all the time and. And then when I was in high school, I had like a comic series that I made and on my lunch breaks during high school, everyone else was smoking. I would go to the corner store and like be Xeroxing at the corner store, like my pages or whatever. So it kept me out of trouble, but I would like sell them on the bus for like a dollar. Like I was like selling comics, you know, and every few weeks I would have a new comic in the series um, and uh, what else was I doing in high school I was on like comic comic message boards with other people who were making comics what were the message boards uh, one was called minicomics.com okay and uh, that was another thing on my lunch break that I would do instead of hang out with other people. <laughs> <So> <laughs> comic message boards. 
and I would like trade with random, random people who are like much older than me, you know, like from the States, I get like weirdo, like girl who breaks up with her boyfriend comics and like weird, like porno comics and like serialized, like military, like ant adventure comics. <laughs> I don't know. Just like yeah. the weirdest people from wherever and then i would send them comics that like were made by like a 13 year old what up guys and you I lived wonder. on on a reserve at that point right Am I right? uh yeah yeah i uh, my parents built built a house like out in the bush mm-hmm. area so i had like one neighbor so i think I had a lot of time to sit alone and draw in my in my room or go out in the bush by myself. And so it feels like that also kind of provide the opportunity to kind of connect with kind of different but similar folks. Uh in the same way. Yeah, I mean there was nobody really around me that was I mean thankfully my one neighbor friend who was like a 10 minute bike ride away. I'm exaggerating. It was like a five minute bike ride, but he was also really into like cartoons and sci-fi and stuff. So we were both sort of quiet kids who grew up in the bush and we'd spent a lot of time drawing comics together. Um, What was the the transition for you going from being creative kid doing comics to going to Concordia um, and doing conceptual stuff? Uh, I dropped comics like completely after, I think after Seja, when I went into Concordia University, I started an anthropology. I don't know why, but like by then I had just completely dropped drawing comics. I was like drawing, Yeah, but it's hard to even know what I was doing at that time. But you didn't, like, you went into, into Concordia to do, like, humanities arts, not fine arts? Yeah, well, I got, I, I went into Concordia to do humanities arts because the, um, the education counselor at the Gunnawaga Education Center said that I should just get my foot in the door of the university and start doing some humanities course, and then after I could transfer into what I really wanted to do. But I had convinced myself that, oh, you know, like, I'm an artist, but I want a career, so I'm going to go into the humanities, like, as if that's ever. <laughs> I have a, uh, a history degree, and I, let me tell you, it's not really going to help for me to do Right. <laughs> so, okay, where, where are we? I drew comics in high school, then I stopped, and then I went to Concordia, and then I ended up in art school in Concordia, and then... There, I was doing a lot of very illustration-y type things, but not comics at all. Like, I was trying to force my illustration and drawing interests into other mediums. Yeah. Like, I was trying to, like, push away my uh, desire to create uh, illustrations and narratives and stuff. So I, I did that. And then when I graduated, I was trying further push away from that like after a time I, I thought you know gig posters are gig posters and they're not fine art and like you know I, I was I saw like a big separation yeah. between the two and what, I convinced myself that it was 
true. Which is funny because right now you're wearing a black flag pin. Yeah. Yeah, I got it in Japan. Uh, and Raymond Pettibone, like that's that was his start. Yeah. The gig posters. Absolutely. Yeah. Never even heard of him in high school. <laughs> <laughs> He's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so was it during the time like when you were working on Windu was when you kind of uh, kind of found more of what you thought of as your voice with your conceptual work like I'm wondering about that transition to like um, I sort of like well what was funny was when I started Wendy like all of the language of drawing comics came back like that yeah and it was like i was speaking that language again like it had never left me it had never left my body it had just been dormant and i stopped worrying about creating fine art at that point mm -hmm. um yeah so I was, I was looking at some of the photos you had on your website of your work and um one of them that really struck me was uh, the Winona's Return, uh, Saturn, and her father. Oh, yeah. I forget what the title of that work is. I think it's, if I got it close to right, I hope. Um, which has the the braid of hair. Mm -hmm. um, and Winona's one of the characters in the book. Is, is, is there like a link there? Yeah, I wanted to... Well, I guess what happened is um, I did a residency at the Banff Center in January of 2013 or 2014. Oh my God, I don't even know. I think it's 2015 right now. Yeah, so it was January 2013. It was it was 2013, and uh, I had I got I went there and. I had already been working on Wendy for a while and uh, I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to do on this residency, so I'm just going to buy a bunch of paper and pen and do a few drawings. But I walked into a fabric store uh, with my friend who was more into fabric and she, that's what she was doing in the residency. And then I, all of a sudden, like fireworks went off and yeah. I just was like, start grabbing all of these textures and materials and... Uh, and when I got back to the studio, I sort of had a conversation about what an extended drawing practice might look like. And um, because I had gained a lot of confidence in the way that I was making Wendy, mm -hmm. I didn't really feel anymore that I was approaching anything outside of illustration from this desire to create contemporary art, you know, like, yeah, like I could create things that were sculptural, but they could be part of an extended drawing practice, which is at the core of something that I really like, uh, believed in at the time, you know, like Wendy gave me a lot of confidence. So I started small and, you know, I cut some, I cut some, like cut some things out. And I did a few drawings and I started gluing things together. And then I start adding a bit of fabric. And the experiment in the corner of my studio began to grow until I was taking these um, drawings and these collages and, and reproducing them uh, in a larger format using materials. And, and then the next thing I knew, I was creating these material abstract works. Mm -hmm. And they had started from the seed of drawing. 
So that was a breakthrough for me because I realized it was possible to create the contemporary art that I wanted to create from like my strengths and abilities, whereas before that I didn't really believe in them. I didn't think I was cut out to do anything besides draw on napkins or whatever. So the sculpture that you're talking about, about Winona, it sort of references Winona a little mm -hmm. bit, but it's also imbued with like uh, a bit of like my own history and my own upbringing. So um, yeah, it's a little bit illustrative, but it's also sculptural. It has a little bit of fiction, but it also has a little bit of uh, autobiography. And I'm interested in how all of those things can kind of mix together. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting idea of like that. Um, I'm really fascinated just like the the artistic narrative you're creating because like I find with Wendy, Wendy's very like a loose style. Um, or with your work, it's very. I feel like it's extremely well crafted, like very specific place and interesting like how that that role plays in that kind of physicality of what you're creating does that make sense oh like wendy's a little bit messier and the sculptures are a little more delicate yeah i guess uh, well i sometimes i think about comics and like creating traditional comics and how there's a lot of people who are interested in contemporary art that say, I have no patience for comics. Or yeah. Comics are not seen as, you know, like they're very distinctly comic books. Yeah. And I kind of like the idea of that traditional trope and like playing into that and like creating characters that, although the characters talk about contemporary art, they're still in this universe that uses contemporary comic or traditional comic tropes like like uh, speed lines and like sweat marks and and then I think about sculpture and I think about the um, the things in sculpture that are, are taken for granted, which is like craft and precision. Mm -hmm. And I like to inject my sculpture work with a bit of that also, where a lot of the elements of the sculpture are kind of loose and kind of crappy, but they're also imbued with a few very delicate touches to... Yeah. To give a nod to the fact that yes, these are sculptural works, and they do have a little bit of like a technical proficiency in them. Um, hair is a big part of it. It looks like hair and textiles. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think Wendy the book has like a certain expression of physicality, and I you know ever since I was little, I've had people say that your characters look like the way you talk, and they look like the way you walk around. So. I, I'm interested in, in how like that kind of physicality translates in the books, and then with my sculptural work, I guess like uh, I want to reference that physicality there too. Yeah. Also, um, for years, um, I had a buzz cut because my dad is an ex-marine. He used to be a sergeant in the Marines, so yeah. I would always get these terrible home haircuts. It, it was like no question; it was just always a buzz That's cut. That's what you now. got, yeah. And, uh, like, being queer, you know, it just it feels like a bit of a, uh, a freeing myself or a, or a blossoming that, uh, like, I always wanted to have long hair because I always had a haircut, a buzz cut, whatever. And I always grew up with um, these, like, uh, 
cultural notions of hair having spirituality imbued in them and they give you strength and uh so i think creating all this like work is a bit it's a bit like fetish work because it's about yeah. hair and then it was only in the last two years that i've started to grow out my hair so in a way it was kind of like a premonition that i was going to finally transition into somebody who has long hair <laughs> <laughs> um i was thinking of, like i don't know i know a little bit more about kind of west coast um First Nation Tristan, I know, I don't know if this is true at all for, for East Coast is, um, like, men will have long hair, and then if there's, like, a death, they'll cut a trunk off as, like, as a kind of remembrance. Um, my community, which is uh, the Mohawk Nation at Gunawage, although I, I've absorbed a lot of um, mythology and social mythology and cultural mythology about hair and uh, a lot of the women in my community have very long hair and some of the men also. Mm-hmm. My community also is is basically like uh, there's also like a large contingent of traditional practices yeah. but largely my community is Protestant. So you, you, you had like a normal haircut because you went to church and, and you know you had uh, you had to go to work and you know Easter and all of that. So, and also a lot of men were, you know, iron workers or a lot of them went to the Marines. So that I think there's a generally like a similar view to like hair, men's hair as like a lot of the rest of like, you know, Protestant Canada, North America. I was reading uh, an interview with you where you were talking uh, a bunch about kind of colonial aspects. And I wonder if that's something that kind of you've been bringing into your work. Uh, looking at colonialism as far as uh, colonialism, yeah. Uh, the first, the Wendy book that just came out in November here, it has three three sort of books in it. Mm-hmm. The first book was just about Wendy partying in, in in Montreal as a punk, and then when there was a lot of people that were giving me positive feedback, I realized I had the opportunity to write in my second installment something a little more personal mm-hmm. and I actually would have the audience that were already hooked on Wendy to like be introduced as this other, this other sort of narrative that is a big part of my life. So that's sort of where Winona, the indigenous character came mm-hmm. in. Um, and for me, like seeing the way the Canadian art world works and, and thinking about my role in it and, and thinking of myself as an indigenous artist, um, I wanted to create a fictional narrative about all of those things sort of in tandem, mm-hmm. influencing each other. And uh, uh, yeah, so I, I guess that's, that's sort of where colonial, uh, colonialism comes into Wendy. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked a little bit in, in the address about the, the community of uh, indigenous uh, art creators uh, is that something you've kind of been connecting with um, overall like you feel like part of like a bigger community type of thing or am I making sense oh um, I guess I've always I've always known a lot of indigenous artists mm-hmm. and non-indigenous artists and um, I think there's a fluctuation not a fluctuation but People, uh, 
I think one of the main differences, and this is something that I think uh, maybe comes from a non-Indigenous perspective, is that if you're an Indigenous artist, you either make work about it or you don't. Yeah. You know? And that, I think, is a very dicey situation that I see happening a lot. And I see my own relationship to that uh, duality, in a way. Yeah. And I think that's tied into a colonial idea of of what you do or what you don't do and the polarization of these decisions. So I don't know, that's something I, I continue to think about as an artist who's kind of just doing what I want to do. Yeah. It's interesting. It sounds like there's like a lot of things kind of informing the work you create, the work you kind of putting out there as, as you, um, or sh I showed my girlfriend, uh, stuff and she was really taken by um, I don't know how active it is there's like a certain kind of um, challenging of like a academic norms and conceptual stuff she found in your work that she was really taken by does that sound like something like a like a satire or a parody of, yeah of academic tropes in conceptual um, yeah I mean that's that's probably there because um, although I have a BFA and I have yeah. an art education, I also feel like um, there's a certain kind of speculation that I don't think um, people like to talk about that that sometimes um, contemporary artists don't have a BFA, you know, and yeah. like the different ways of knowing and like... Uh, like for instance, like I grew up from a, a culture where there's you know traditional um, practices like crafts and beadwork and and uh, and also um, a lot of the philosophies that I learned in art school they do essentially come from uh, colonial frameworks. Mm -hmm. So. In a way, like, like I'm not a fan of intellectual warfare, but I do think it's kind of interesting to question what, like, being intellectual is or, like, what being informed looks like. Because sometimes it's not what you think it should be. And, and sometimes the dumbest seeming person might have a certain insight that another person doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I think that could be like a, a decolonial act is is like uh, creating confusion or or um, being a clown. Mm -hmm. um, do you find this is kind of working into the the work you're doing right now? Because uh, which mentioned you're doing, you have an opening on Thursday tomorrow. I'll be posting this tonight, so Thursday, January 15th at Macaulay & Company Fine Art at 293 East 2nd. Uh, but you, your show will be up there till the end, of, till February 17th. Yeah. Um, and the show is called Pre-Existing Work. Mm -hmm. um, maybe let's talk a little bit about what's going to be in that show, maybe kind of taking from what we're just talking about. Uh, Pre-Existing Work? Well... It's a it's a bunch of uh, fabric. Uh, it's assemble assemblage, like it's like sculptural assemblage made out of fabric, and I use some acrylic paint and um, 
I made some um, some lantern light box kind of things from material that I I uh, I bought from a hardware store in Japan, and I put them together there, and then I shipped them here, and I finished working on them. And uh, the work is a little bit about like this in-between space because on one hand a lot of people I think view me as a comic artist and mm -hmm. you know I have that part of me I have a desire to create fictional narratives but then like I'm also living in this body and like I don't know if it's because like I'm a sensitive artist or something but I always have something wrong with me physically or mentally like I'm never I never really feel like I'm not a prisoner of mm -hmm. like my body and uh I think I've been, uh, you know, I've been reading about, like, I've been reading some, like, artistic essays on, like, illness and disease and stuff. And uh, I'm morbidly fascinated with how little someone could know about the artist's physical or mental body from reading, like, a comic book, which, like, is about fictional characters. Yeah. You know, I think so. I think for me, it's a way to create passageways between fiction and the body and, like, what that looks like, you know. I feel like it's, a, it's kind of like a weird thing to explain. It is, but it makes me really interested in what the work looks like. Yeah, because, well, I think something that might illuminate it is that uh, one thing I've been thinking about is how, like, this may not be true, but, like, I think about, like, psychic ability and people's ability to perceive. Mm -hmm. And then I think about how, like... Sometimes when you have like a lot of power, it, like if you turn it inwards, it manifests as physical pain. Yeah. So really, it's like if you have this psychic ability and you turn it inwards, it's sort of like in my mind's eye, it like pools into the guts and it creates all of this like energy, and you're basically taking it out on yourself, you know. Uh, and I've been I like wrote like some like prose sort of about that. It's kind of like. Thoughts as a disease? Uh, no, like, like, uh, I don't know. Like, I think about like my upbringing, and I think about trauma, and I think about like the way I could create energy. Like, I, I'm like anxious and like. Like, I just feel like I have all of these, like, energies of my body that have built up that I need to, like, either get rid of or express or something. Uh, I don't know. How does the work function happen? Is that a way of, like, kind of placing some of those ideas, those anxieties, that energy kind of manifesting it into the physicality of the object? Yeah, I don't know. It's funny. Like, I think the reason why I'm faltering right now talking about it is because it's such a new concept to me. Yeah. Like discovering these parts of myself and trying to make make manifest it. Uh, so, did, do you find this the the work you're making uh, for the show is substantially different than than the previous sculptural stuff? Or yeah, you... the sculptural stuff before was a little more about like social uh standing like uh camouflage survival like it had a bit more of like a sociological bent yeah 
and now like I feel like I want to make work that's a bit more about my feelings <laughs> and what it is uh who said there was a quote I think it was Susan Sontag that said I have the I think that feeling is a kind of thinking and thinking is a kind of feeling mm -hmm. and I've also been reading a lot of like feminist literature and uh Chris Krauss talking about how the somatic body is like a freeway and if you open up one lane like it immediately is going to fill up you know and uh like she writes a lot in her book I Love Dick she writes a lot about this guy Dick who she's in love with and like how rejection from him causes her to break out in these like physical manifestations of her angst and desire mm -hmm. and uh she makes a lot of analogies yeah like about the freeway which ties into her like real life as an artist because she's always on a freeway like going from LA and taking a plane to New York and um, LA is all about freeways. Yeah, so I guess I've just been really fascinated with that, the way like a lot of feminist literature makes those connections between the mind and the body and and uh, how like shame and desire and fear like they they can manifest and and they're part of like a somatic. Thing and, and your like body responds yeah and then your body responds and in that way I feel like that's where I think it's kind of a psychic ability where sometimes I feel like I'm so full of desire or shame where I don't trust my own thoughts anymore you know like yeah. I don't it's like I don't believe anything I think anymore because I'm too overwhelmed and that's when my body starts doing the thinking for me and it it lets me know through signals and pain that like you're not well you're working through something yeah so like even like say I, I moved to Toronto and I've been like apartment hunting mm -hmm. and I've I haven't lived in one place for more than like three months in the past two years I've been moving and moving and moving and at this point I'm so frazzled and like I don't know where I'm going to end up like I don't know where I'm going to be by this summer like I have no fucking idea of what's happening but I walked into an apartment to see it the other day and I sat down and like, I thought everything was fine, but like signals in my body start going off, you know, like started to get like a headache behind my eye and like something else started to creak. And like, it's almost like my body was doing the signs for me. Like, you're not going to be happy here. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of fascinated with the whole mind and body as like one functioning psychic kind of, of thing where... It's like communicating with me. Do you find um, when you're working on your work, be it the comics or the sculpture, um, is there like a physical difference for yourself um, from like day-to-day -day norms? Like does it kind of provide like a focus or a distraction or something? Um, I think they each like help me express different things the way I need to at the time. Like comics are really good for one thing and, and the sculpture is really good for another thing. Like the sculpture is really good for really visceral things I want to express. But Which is like, funny because like I would think comics for a lot of folks is the, it's the, the opera. Like that would be like the visceral thing. It's like the drawing of like things. Oh visualizing yeah. Visualizing it specifically. Um, Not to say like that's how it should be, but that, that would be like my like assumption. Yeah. Which is wrong here like um 
Yeah, well, you know, I mean, like, sculptures are wordless yeah. in a way. I think naturally in a lot of ways. And so that's an opportunity and a medium uh, for me to create um, wordless sort of... The, the wordless feelings I have, I can create using a wordless medium. Yeah. And then now, lately especially, when I'm working on Wendy, I think about, like, large arching narratives in my life. And I think, how can I distill this into one story that gets both me to reflect on my life and have other people possibly connect with that too? Um, now, you're doing a thing at Lucky's on Friday, I think at 7? Um, and it's going to involve a performance. Tell me about that. The performance is kind of... Um, they kind of just erupted. Yeah. out of the ground and like this new idea started to grow um, I did a limited edition Wendy book called the Wendy Critical Reader mm -hmm. for Art Metropole last year it comes with a tote bag and it comes with a poster and uh, one of the stories in the Wendy Critical Reader is about um, Winona going back to the res and the women in her town, and uh, one of her childhood friends who, like, he ha kind of has a crush on her. And it's like a small little, like, capsule about the res, like, mm -hmm. res life and being an artist from, a, from, like, a Native community. So the Ore Gallery in Vancouver um, wanted to do a book launch because they picked up some of the editions to put into the Ore bookstore. Yeah. So they said, let's have... Um, let's have like an event and you could do a performance or you could do what you want. We could just drink wine or whatever. So I said, okay, let's do a performance. And I immediately thought I want to project panels on the wall from that story about the res, but I want my family to read it out loud and I want them to do it through Skype, like into the gallery. Wow. So it was great. Like yeah. my sisters and my mother and my brother, they played all of the characters who are from the Mohawk community. Yeah. And I Skyped them in from Ganawage, which is near Montreal. And, uh, and it was funny because, you know, like the inflections and the tones and the attitudes, like coming out of them, you could really, you know, it came to life a bit more and you could, you could see how, like the the text would sound being said from the people that the the story's about. Yeah. So it illuminated a lot of different things. Uh, and I don't know. I had a lot of fun. And so now I this um the second installment at Lucky's is going to be like that. Uh, and I guess this was supposed to be a secret, but maybe people now will know. But I I'm gonna project panels from this Wendy book and I'm going to have people who show up from the audience to read. Oh, different. nice. Yeah. Yeah. So one person will be Wendy and then one person will be whoever, you know, I'll say like, who wants to play Wendy? Raise your hand. And who wants to play Tina? And I kind of like the idea of it incorporating the people who show up mm -hmm. and are part of the community because I'm writing about an art community, you know? Yeah. And if people show up and the writing is a kind of about them, it's interesting to have them implied, directly implied. And, and how they interpret it. And how they, and like, yeah. So, 
that, that will either be really fun or really terrible for some people. <laughs> or terrifying. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, like, a lot of, like, socializing in the art world is performativity anyway, so... Yeah. Might as well actually perform for reals. I think my girlfriend's telling me Luke Ramsey just posted a thing, and I still need to read it, about how he kind of took a vacation from the art world. Just yeah. Just on his family, and I'm really interested in that idea of, like... There's that, like, the art you create, and then there's the art world it exists in, and... Like I think the best vacation from the art world is to just post really lame things on Facebook until people think that you've lost touch with reality. Just cat videos every day. Yeah, and then be like, wow, he ended up becoming really boring and not conceptual, and then that's your vacation. Because people won't bother with you anymore. Have you done that before? I tried. <laughs> Actually, what's really great is, like, I feel very happy... Um, about like being able to make the stuff I'm doing and it doesn't make me feel like I need to be cool yeah. <laughs> anymore that's it I mean that's the really great thing it sounds like you've been able to get to a point with your work where it really it's reflecting who you are and reflecting kind of where you want to go with it like it's evolving changing as you're evolving and changing yeah it's like my it's like my life companion that's okay. That's yeah. A good thing. It's a good way, I think. Wendy and a lot of this stuff, it's a really good way to reflect to myself where I'm at at any given point. So they kind of play like, in some ways, Wendy's like the internal dialogue and that work is that external dialogue. In way, They're both a little they... bit internal and external. Yeah. Um, it's a two-way street. Yeah. Wendy is a good way to, I mean, I, I like that it reaches a lot of people, but I also like to use it as a way for me to think through the way my life's headed. And another thing that's really funny is that I've had things that I've written in Wendy come true after, and I'm not the only author to, like, I think I read a New York Times article where a woman said the same thing happened to her, but, like, I, like, wrote a story in Wendy, and, like, the, like, exact thing happened, like, months later, which I feel like is, like, a weird psychic thing. Like, like Burroughs wrote about that with his cut-ups where it was, uh, you know about Burroughs and the cut-ups where they'd, like, cut up a bunch of words, put it into a new sentence, and, like, how that would, like, manifest itself to happen mm -hmm. or actualizing. I don't think I like the term actualizing, but maybe manifesting. But, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I've never heard of that, but it sounds exactly like what I mean. Uh, so it, it makes me feel like I need to sort of create really good things to happen <laughs> to Wendy. Like she, like, wins a million dollars. Do it. I don't know if that would be a good thing. Maybe you're pushing your luck? Yeah, maybe. But it's not just one thing that happened in Wendy that came true. Like, it's like two or three different things, like, came true. It's really bizarre. Well, do you want to share what they were? Mostly romance things. Oh, okay. It's really weird. Interesting. So, I, yeah, I think I need to create Wendy making better choices. But then oh. that would be kind of boring, I think, yeah. for readers. It's whatever you feel direction needs to go, I guess. Um, 
and a reminder, folks have been talking to Walter Scott, and you also have a the show that's in Vancouver right now will also be shown in Toronto, uh, and February twenty fifth it's opening at Gallery eight eleven. And how long is it running there for? Uh, I'm not sure. Sometime in March. Okay. We haven't really finalized. So hopefully it's going to be there. It will be there. Yeah, it'll be there. Great. Well, thank you so much, Walter. Um, I recommend folks um, checking out not just the book, but also the sculptural stuff because it really plays a neat role and kind of these two different sides to you. So, hmm. yeah, thanks so much. Thanks a lot.